We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It's May 24th. We are still, Alex, uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, thanks to the Boston Celtics finally getting a win in this series. They take game four at Miami last night. Uh, ended up being a, a fairly resounding win for the Celtics, who trailed after the first quarter, trailed at halftime, uh, and finally you know, had a, a productive third quarter in this series. They put up 38 in the third, keep it going in the fourth. Uh, th- this felt like really for the first time in the series – uh, you know, one of those games where everybody shot the ball well for Boston. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown was kind of the only guy who ended up having a, an okay game, but you know, Derek White three three pointers, Marcus Smart three three pointers, Al Horford came alive. Uh, it was a great game for Jason Tatum, uh, and Grant Williams had, I think, easily his best individual game of the playoffs. Yeah, Grant Williams was really key for them four four of six from three. Um, you know, does well on defense as well. I think I saw a stat that Boston has lost like two games this season, or at least in the regular season when shooting um, over 40% from three and they hit 40% in this game. So that's obviously such a big key to their game plan. They took 45 threes in this game. And I felt like Miami, uh, Boston just did so, so much of a better job kind of reading Miami zone, quickly reacting to the double teams and extra pressure. And it just felt like a lot more, cohesive than in previous games for for Boston and I felt like there were some mm-hmm. miscues for Miami and I thought Boston did well in transition as well um they just play a really great all-around game it is crazy you don't want to oversimplify it but when you're just knocking down open threes I mean things change dramatically and you know that, that was the number one thing for Boston is you know Al Horford hitting three threes instead of rimming out on a couple of those it completely changes things. And you know, I, I actually thought Miami didn't play that poorly. Um, you know, they, they never really threw in the towel, but you could tell, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, uh, they really didn't have much of a chance to, to come back. But I thought they played a great first half, especially defensively. They were all over the court defensively um, and, you know, had a couple more shots gone down for Miami. I, I still think they, they would have had a, a chance or two to steal this game in the second half. But it just got to the point where, you know, I, I think Boston, you know, hit like three or four three-pointers in a row over the course of several possessions and, you know, all of a sudden the lead's at six, then it's at nine, then it's at 12, and it, it got away from Miami pretty quickly. But I thought that he played a great first half. I, I thought defensively they, they did uh, about all they could, but uh, wasted some possessions. Uh, I thought, you know, late in the second half, or late in the second quarter, I should say, um, they had a chance to to kind of go into half with, with a double-digit lead. And I, I didn't really like some of the shots Kyle Lowry was taking in this game. At one point he missed three, you know, all kind of contested pull-up three-pointers in a row. Um, I, I thought he really actually killed them. Uh, he ended up being, I think, a, a neutral plus minus, which can always be a misleading stat. But uh, he couldn't really get anything to go down. And Bam Adebayo, just, it, it's hard to say it was a bad game. I, it was just one of those games where he goes by and you're like, I haven't seen Bam do one thing. Which is crazy because games one through three, I felt like he was having his best series of the playoffs. Um, 
at least in games one and two, I felt like his impact was was amazing. He was getting to the rim. He was dunking on people, like taking that that floater wasn't an issue for him. And yeah, it's just one of these BAM games, like you mentioned. It's like you just forget he's out there. It's like what what happened? Um, it's just too many of those from him still. But uh, he's also not like a. I don't. He's still like he's a he's technically their number two option, but he's not quite like a hand this guy the ball and have him right. create, you know, when we're having issues guy. It's a little Anthony Davis-y, I think, in some ways, where yeah. you, know, you see the body type, you see the athleticism, you see the skills, and you're thinking, like, you know, why aren't you doing more? But it's just – it's never really been who the, – the type of player that he is. And you could say the same about AD. You know, he'll have those games where, you know, it's the middle of the fourth quarter and you, you check his box score and it's like, how is he only taking seven shots? It's like – well, he's also, you know, he's not going to be pulling up more than once or twice per game. He kind of feasts on the offensive glass. And I thought Boston, you know, rebounding wise also did pretty well. They lost the overall rebounding battle. But, uh, you know, the second half, especially, I thought they, they were able to keep Bam Adebayo off the glass. You know, Jimmy Butler had four offensive rebounds. Kyle Lowry had three. The bulk of those came in the first half. But, uh, you know, Boston tightened things up defensively. The Heat also missed a lot of shots that they've been making throughout this series, you know, Gabe Vincent, one of one of four from three, Max Drews, one of five, Duncan Robinson, oh, of four. Uh, Robinson I, got blocked, I, I think, twice on three-pointers in this game. He had one where you know, pump faked, thought he was wide open, and Derek White ended up getting him from behind. Uh, but, you know, it's just, just one of those games for Miami where, you know, finally the shooting cooled off, and Boston, you know, when you hit 18 threes in, in an NBA playoff game, you're going to win that game, what, at least 90% of the time? I think so. I mean... I- and you say it like it's just this was a Miami team bound to have a bad shooting game from three and a Boston team bound to have a better shooting game from three. And I it, it wasn't pure like like Boston got themselves open looks. This wasn't like they just made a ton of looks that they were completely bricking before they actually they worked for the threes and they got them. But yeah, I would be curious to know if like any team has won a playoff game when they lose the I mean, it'd be really tough. I'm sure it's happened, but you lose the three-point, you know, battle by like ten, or you mm. shoot twenty-five percent. The other team shoots forty percent. You're, it's almost a guarantee you lose those games. Yeah, I mean, Miami also has just kind of been banged up throughout the series. Like Gabe Vincent ended up kind of limping to the locker room at one point. Uh, you know, Kevin Love was questionable for this game. Ended up playing, just really wasn't effective at all. Uh, only played twelve minutes. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a team that's. Feels like it, it could be running out of gas at, at any point here, especially with no Tyler Hero. But at the same time, it's the Miami Heat. And I think they get more benefit of the doubt in that area than just about any other team. You know, we, we touched on this when you joined us on uh, on the Rotowire XM show earlier today. But, man, I have the odds shifted in this series. I, I think there is – maybe belief's not the right word, but there, there there's real belief at the sportsbook that, you know, but Boston's going to have a chance to climb back into the series two of the next three games if we get that far – will be at home for Boston, including game five tomorrow night for which the Celtics are eight point home favorites. I don't think they should be eight point home favorites. Um, I'm a, I'm a big Miami plus eight guy. Uh, that feels like their number. Yeah. You always that they always, they always get stuck with. I, uh, well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, I just, I don't, the odds you're getting on Boston to make this comeback and the and the odds you're like the odds don't feel correct based on NBA history, right? Like it's let me put not it this so... way: Boston, Boston. Sorry to interrupt. Boston's plus four fifty to win the NBA title right now. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. That doesn't feel like good value at all. I the, and you're you're right to cut me off. I mean, I just <laughs> I, <laughs> I it's just crazy to me. Like the value, I don't know. I would bet Miami to win this series. I think that's amazing value. Because it would be the first time in NBA history this happening. It's event eventually it's gonna happen. And I know that like just because Boston won uh game four here doesn't mean that they're like so much more likely to come back and win uh, to win three in a uh, three more in a row. Like it's still it's still such an uphill battle, it's never happened before. Counterpoint, uh, Jalen Brown said, don't let us win one. So well, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe he knows something there. Yeah. That's that, that finals price is absolutely insane to me. It's like, even if they complete the comeback and win this thing in seven games, you then got to go beat Denver, which will be coming in on over a week's worth of rest. And in my opinion, it's just as good, if not a better team, all things considered. So I, I mean, do not bet that that's just really dumb. Um, if, if you want to bet Boston just to win this series, they're down to plus two twenty. 
I, I mean, again, crazy odds uh, when you consider it's it's what like one in, or Owen like one fifty one all time teams trying to come back from three right. zero. Uh, and look, you are right. At some point, that streak is going to be broken. Like anything like this, that's within the realm of possibility. It's going to happen eventually. And I, I see the argument. I really do. And like, I, I, to be totally honest, I wouldn't be shocked if we end up getting at least a game six in this series and, and maybe a game seven, but I, you know, at some point, the location of the games doesn't really matter. Like you have to win four in a row, no matter what. And that's just really hard to do against any team in the playoffs. With all that said, this is kind of set up as the perfect circumstance for it to happen because of the talent gap between these two teams. Like almost always when a team goes up 3-0 in a series, it's like the 76ers being up 3-0 over the Nets in the first round, right? Where it's, it's inconceivable that the Brooklyn Nets could come back and win the series. Whereas coming into the series, what was, wasn't Boston like minus 600 to win it? Uh, like it, it's really, really rare that the team that we think is way better, the team that everybody thinks is going to cruise to like a four or five game series victory is the team that's down 3-0. So like, I, I get it, but I still think the odds have over-adjusted in favor of Boston. I just think Miami has broken the sports books. Like, I I just don't – I don't think they know what to do. I don't think they know where to put the number. Uh, I don't think they know how to, like, account for what we're seeing. I also think a lot of it is they know they get a ton of money from, from Boston fans. Um, I'm sure they've already ta- – they've taken a ridiculous amount of, like, Boston – to win the NBA finals bets from before the season started. And so they're dealing with a lot of that as well. Um, I just, uh, yeah, for something that basically is, if if the odds were reflective of like how it's actually been through NBA history, you would want like 150 to one odds on Boston coming back. It's more likely than that, but is it, is it like three to one likely? No, no, I don't think so. The NBA regular season has come and gone, which means it's time for a new way to play daily fantasy basketball for the playoffs. Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played, and they brought three new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. With unique games like Fantasy Bingo, head-to-head player challenges, and over-unders in Fantasy Book, Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, Rotowire listeners can get a $50 protected first play That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up. Again, that's play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up and use our code RotowireMBA, all one word, RotowireMBA. Use that at sign up and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival protected up to $50. Now's the time to step onto the court and become a rival today. Welcome to the arena. Yeah, I think when you phrase it that way, you know, I mean, it's closer to two to one at this point. Boston is plus 220. It's like, okay, if you play out the rest of the series twice, Boston completes the seven game comeback and, and wins it in seven. You know, <laughs> right. You know, one of those times. Like, I don't know. I mean, if, look, if, if you want to give me like 10 to one, even, which, you know, relatively speaking, compared to history would still seem kind of short. I, I would, I would, I would say that, you know, it's like, all right, you play this out 10 times. Yeah. Boston probably does come back and win it in seven in one of those instances, but yeah, plus two twenty is wild. And that is a good reminder by you that these are not, it, you know, sports books are not predictive. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes uh, that influence these lines, but uh, wild nonetheless, to, you know, because Miami, Miami's dominated the series still. And, you know, it, it took a monumental shooting game from Boston. And I mean, it did, it did get a little ridiculous in the third quarter when they were, it felt like they were hitting everything. Um, and Miami just could not buy a basket, but I, I really thought at halftime, you know, it, it felt like the, the Celtics entire season came down to that third quarter because Miami played exactly the first half that it needed to. And we saw a lot of frustrated possessions for Boston, you know, some careless turnovers in the first half. Jalen Brown looked lost. You know, Jason Tatum was playing OK, but didn't really settle in until the second half. So I, I actually thought Miami played a pretty good game. And, you know, sometimes you just chalk it up and say, look, if they're shooting like that, we just don't have much of a chance. Right. I, it's just this was a back against the wall game. Like what did this? Did, did anything really happen in this game that it feels like you can analyze and go, well, they unlocked something like how is Miami going to solve this that Boston did? Not necessarily. Um, you know, I, I do think like Grant Williams becoming an actual like usable piece in, in this series is big. You know, he had 12 points in game three as well. He's, he's six of nine from three over the last two games. But at the same time, you're almost, you, you know that the regression is coming, right? Like you, you can't just say like, all right, well, he'll just give us four threes every game going forward. 
so obviously you, you needed this game more than anything to keep the series going. And it's great that you got that shooting night from Grant Williams, but uh, you also have to know going forward that you can't depend on it. I would say just the number one thing that we saw, and this is more of an intangible than anything you can really you know take into account betting wise is we saw Boston have a backbone, right? I mean, I, I think a lot of people thought game three was it. They're broken. They don't like each other. They're, they're sick of their coach, all that. And you know, whether that's true or not, well, maybe we'll find out this off season. This team did rally together and play an incredible third quarter and an incredible second half, come back on the road and win this game four. And even though they're the better team, even though they have more talent and they should be expected to do this, I think a lot of people kind of lost faith in this team internally, uh, you know, kind of mentally. And, you know, I, I think they at least showed me something there last night. Yeah. They, they showed you something just to me. I, I don't know. The thing is, I also don't know what I would have needed to see in this game to be like, well, I'm picking, or like, I really think Boston has a chance now. It's just, you know, we kind of know the argument, right? Boston, more talent. Yeah. I just think this could have, I, this could have easily been any other game in the series. This could have been game one. And then, you know, Miami rattles off four wins in a row. I mean, some of it's a three point sure. shooting. It's um, I, I, again, this Boston team, they've given us no reason to trust them throughout the playoffs. And Miami has given us every single reason. And to me, it's hard to just say like that suddenly flipped now when Miami was up three Oh, now three one. That is an inter- interesting point you make about, you know, the order of the games, not necessarily mattering. Um, I, I think you're right for the most part, obviously there is, there is some sort of like, you know, kind of immeasurable degree of pressure when you're in a game seven versus a game one. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of teams kind of ease into series and, and pick things up as they go along. Um, but I'll, I mean, I'll just ask you straight up now, like, what do you expect to happen tomorrow night in game five? Uh, well, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston won, but like I said, I'd be on Miami plus eight. I think I, I did feel like a lot of this game, Miami felt a little tired. The thing is you're not getting any more rest, you know, throughout right. the rest of the series. Like it's just the one day off, but I'm not shocked that they lost this game. I thought that, listen, I thought they were going to win this game. Um, I'm gonna, I'm just going to pick Miami. I think Miami's going to come out. They're going to win. But again, I can't be shocked if it goes to a, if, if Miami wins this next, or excuse me, if Boston wins this next game, it's just, I, a game six wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. If we get a game six, I, I think that's where Miami finishes it out. Um, right. I mean, if, if the thing is, if we, I, I almost think baked into the odds is if we get a game seven, it's just a foregone conclusion that Boston wins, which if you're playing the Sixers, maybe that's the truth. I, I don't know if that's the case against Miami. Like, I, I don't think this Miami team just rolls over in that situation, especially for, you know, going up against a Celtics team that has shown us time and time again that they're prone to these just completely off night, no show type of games, even on the biggest stage. So, yeah, I, I mean, obviously being back in Boston, that that is an advantage for the Celtics. But you're right. It's it's not it's not that big of an advantage, given that that both teams are traveling. And I actually read yesterday. I, I have to verify this. I think it was our guy. Adam Kaufman, who does some work for, for DK Live out in Boston, he tweeted that that the Celtics arrived in Miami yesterday afternoon. That's surprising, actually. How Why would that be? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to pull up the tweet just to make sure I didn't read it wrong, but I, I saw that this morning. I'm like, how, like, why has a team ever done that? That's good. Yeah, that's pretty bizarre. I, uh, I want to know the reason for that. I, I, it's, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to be on with him later tonight on, on his show at, uh, out in Boston on the radio. So I'll, I'll have to ask him about that. Um, he, he also tweeted earlier today kind of an interesting note on, you know, this discussion we're having about teams crawling back into series. Uh, the higher seed all time, obviously, is 0-13 when falling behind 0-3. Um, only one of those teams even forced a game six. Uh, and that was Orlando against Boston in 2010. So, it overwhelmingly in these situations, uh, you know, teams don't even get all the way to, to, to the point that it reaches a game seven. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right to point out, like, like you said before, the, the sports books have to fall under, under the assumption that like, if this goes back to Boston for game seven, that Boston should be favored. And they would also have all the momentum obviously going into that series, but they just haven't been that good at home, you know, during these playoffs, obviously that's how they got down 0-3 in the first place. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, let's talk a little Lakers Nuggets postmortem. It's been a couple days now. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, uh, pretty much everything has been said about this series. Um you know, it's not often that you come out of a, a LeBron James playoff series and say like, man, the other team was just better. They just beat us. Um, you know, obviously it happened against the Warriors a few times. Uh, I, I think that that 2014 Spurs series uh, certainly comes to mind as well. But, uh, you know, it, I, I don't really come out of this. Like, it, it's funny, like when a team loses a series, whether it's in the first, second, third round, sometimes even the finals, you know, it's it's crazy to kind of track how like a fan base reacts on, on, on Twitter yeah. or wherever you're, you're reading. Uh, it's like everybody turns on everybody and this team that you loved a month ago, all of a sudden everybody sucks and you need to trade everybody. I, it, it's funny. I didn't really see a whole lot of that with the Lakers uh, with the exception of D'Angelo Russell. Of course, I, I, I do think most, most Lakers fans just kind of like admitted defeat and we're like, yeah, man, there's just nothing we could do against Jokic and this Nuggets team. I mean, Jokic is playing like the best player in the world. Um, I, I don't know what, you were supposed to necessarily expect from this Lakers team. You know, they look bad all year. They make some good moves at the deadline. It looks pretty smooth, but they're playing without LeBron a lot of the time. And then you're talking about like April basketball, which is always a complete toss up. And then you're kind of expecting it to all come together uh, in the postseason when LeBron's playing on this bum foot and AD gets hurt all the time and he's inconsistent. And, you know, I, I think, I think, <laughs> For once, the Lakers fans seem a little pretty measured in their takes. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked about this on the XM show. Like, they're, I think the main thing that they can look forward to this offseason is just a ton of flexibility. The trades that yep. they made, Finally. it's basically AD, LeBron, and then it's like, well, we got some blanks to fill in. 
they're kind of back to square one when they got LeBron, right? And that was like a big part of the reason he wanted to go there is like, all right, you, you know, we have some young assets who we could trade and they eventually did for Anthony Davis. Um, and he left a situation where there was like no way out, right? You know, the Cavs had had all these contracts and, you know, guys who were kind of at the end of the string and you were kind of stuck between trying to contend around LeBron and rebuilding. And yeah, I mean, now he has this blank slate, which is all well and good. The problem is he's going to be what 39 next season. Um, so you're not necessarily in the greatest spot with LeBron and, and, you know, we'll talk about the potential retirement, talk in a little bit um i i i just think yeah it would be kind of a a misgiving i guess by the lakers to try to completely blow this thing up because they came up short against the nuggets like i, I think denver proved once again uh, for the third time in these playoffs that they are just they're the deepest and they're the most complete team and they're, they're also the team that has the fewest weaknesses right like almost nobody on this team is a significant liability like yeah we could say jamal murray is he a great defender no but teams are also not hunting him to the level that they are like the absolute worst defenders at that position in the NBA. I mean, I was, I was just blown away at the consistency. Um, you know, the Lakers probably should have won game four. I mean, they're up double digits at the half and, you know, Denver just comes roaring back. It was, it was almost effortless. Yeah. Jeff asked me on the radio, like what's Denver's biggest weakness. And I was like, I not a hundred percent sure. Actually, like, I guess it's technically their defense, like their inconsistency on defense Partially, you mentioned Jamal Murray, but Jamal Murray's also liable to go off for 30 points in any given game. That's what separates him right. from other from guys like D'Lo, for example. Exactly. Um, MPJ, also a questionable defender, but has like the length to make up for it. He's also a great rebounder, pretty underrated there. Yeah, their bench, I mean, a lot of Jeff Green minutes. Um, but I, you mentioned it, just the, the consistency from them. And um, the fact that you can't you can't really bully Jokic, he's practically impossible to game plan for. At least it seems like um, when he's on offense. You know the Lakers try everything. That was the thing. It was like game two. They were like, "Well, what if we do Rui Hachimura?" And we, you know, like they were already in that mode after yeah. like forty minutes of basketball. I'm just wondering at this point, like, is there anybody in the league who defends Jokic well? You know, or even like at an above uh, average. Know clip I, I don't know like it feels like there's you know you could say this about any superstar it's like yeah nobody guarded lebron well in 2015 same with KD, same with curry etc but usually there's like one or two guys you could say yeah they, they bothered him at least like i don't even like if, if anthony davis was getting bodied in, for an entire series the way he was uh i i don't i don't know who the archetype is like I, we'll see what bam Adebayo can do if that ends up being the matchup obviously the celtics have a number of bigs that they could throw at Jokic, but you know the the size strength uh, kind of nimbleness combination is like, there's just not, there's not an archetype of player where you say, okay, this makes sense. This guy will be able to slow him down. Yeah. I'm trying to look up right now, the lowest field goal percentage you had against any team where he played at least four games. It's actually Utah, believe it or not. Uh, mm. Walker Kessler, the Jokic yeah. stopper. Say <laughs> so Yudoka um, Azubuki must've got him. Yeah. And then the, it's, it's crazy, man. Cause like it's, it's 54% from the field against Utah in four games. The next lowest team that he played at least three games against was the Clippers at 59 and a half percent. That's like insane. no team in the NBA can hold Jokic below like 55% shooting. I mean, he, he shot 50% from the field in this series against the Lakers. Like I, I actually think they controlled him fairly well. There's just, he, he's just at the point where there, there's only so much you can do. I mean, it, it is actually kind of peak LeBron like in some ways, the passing, especially in the half court. Um, and going back to Murray, by the way, he led the series in scoring by a mile. You know, I mean, if, if, if you could, you could say he's a subpar defender, that's true. You could totally live with that when he's given you 33, six and five for the series. Right. I mean, he, he was unbelievable. The 30 point half in game three. Uh, I mean, he was, he was arguably the best player in the series that had Nikola Jokic, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, I, I also think, you know, when you, when you talk about what's the Nuggets biggest weakness, I think they've they've had some favorable matchups to be sure. Um, obviously, the, both the Lakers and the Suns have a ton of premier talent. Neither of those teams have any depth. They're actually constructed pretty similarly, and neither of those teams could shoot threes, right? And their first round matchup is the Timberwolves, which we can just throw out. So I, I, I do think Denver they'll be tested a lot more against teams that can consistently shoot the three. But you know when they're shooting forty percent from three for the series, and their opponent is shooting 34 percent on dramatically fewer attempts. Like they, they go into every game with, with a mathematical advantage. That's really, really tough to overcome. Yeah. Denver. I mean, that's part of what Jokic does. It's not that he uh, it just averages 11 assists a game. It's just 11 assists where these passes are like guys coming in the basket for just straight up dunks. Yeah. And he gets his teammates a ton of wide open threes. And so the percentage like is like layups per game. 
Yes. Yeah. And you you look at the percentages and you want to say like, well, it's going to regress. It's like, well, all these guys are elite three-point shooters and a lot of their looks are just completely wide open. You know, it's so hard for them. Like, I don't know. Like we saw the, um, like the Lakers, part of what helped them beat um, the Golden State was they just forced all those, they tried to force all those three-point shooters to the rim. But, you know, that the guys on Denver are way more, they're way better finishing at the rim than a lot of the guys on Golden State. And they just have way more options <laughs> when Jokic is the guy making those passes compared to like Draymond, who was never going to take a 15 foot jumper and Jokic doesn't even miss from 15 feet. Yeah. I mean, Jokic, there's always so much you could say about him at this point. I mean, the, the touch around the rim, the touch in the mid range, the touch even from three in this series was completely out of hand. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, again, I think Anthony Davis ended up taking a lot of heat, especially after game four where he was pretty quiet, but I think he did what he could, man. And they were asking a ton out of him. Uh, you know, Rui Hachimura, you know, the fact that he was kind of the backup big man in this series. Um, you know, we, we did see our Tristan Thompson minutes, thankfully in game four, which I, I actually think he played pretty well. Like I, I think when, when he was in there, uh, like basically the reason they put him in was they were, they were getting killed on the offensive class yet again. And he was in there, he was fired up. He was putting his body into guys, uh, and, and, you know, they, they kept running into that issue where if you're bringing Anthony Davis over as the help defender, that's all well and good. He could force a miss, but then you're in a disadvantaged situation on the offensive glass. So I, I think, you know, it was more of a personnel issue for the Lakers than it was guys not showing up, you know, bad coaching, bad scheming. I, I just think they, they, they ran into a buzzsaw in a team that knows what it's, what it is, a team that has seven or eight guys who all have very defined roles. And, you know, the team on the other side is, changing its starting lineup night tonight, changing its rotations night tonight, changing defensive strategy. Like the Lakers were basically sent into a scramble midway through game one. They were. And you bring up a good point about this Denver team, which is they've been together for a long time. They've played a lot of games together, especially Murray and Jokic. Like their two man game is on a, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like Malone Stockton esque, although almost like the reverse of that Um, with Jokic as the passer and Aaron, like, the thing is, the guys they brought into this team who are newer additions, like Aaron Gordon, KCP, Bruce Brown, these guys, they're just all seamless fits within the Nuggets team, right? And um, mm-hmm. they fit so perfectly with what Jokic wants to do. They're good defenders. And again, I like the moves LA made at the trade deadline, but it just, yeah. um, they couldn't figure out exactly what they needed to do. I, I think Jokic has officially entered that very rare territory. And I would say there's usually only two or three guys in the league at once. You could say this about who, if you give them a, a decent supporting cast, you're guaranteed to make a run at the finals. If you give them a very good supporting cast like this one, you're, you're almost guaranteed to make the finals. And I, I know that that sounds kind of crazy to say, but like, obviously LeBron was like that for an eight year span where it was just, all right, give this guy a decent team. You're in. Um, you know, I think Giannis was, was kind of at that point a couple of years ago, obviously fell short this year. Um, you know, I, I think that's where I would draw the line. You know, I think KD was, has been in that zone before Steph Curry has been close, uh, always going to be a little more difficult for smaller guys, but, uh, you know, I mean, Jokic, I think definitively proved that he is on even a different level from, from the guy who won the MVP this year and a different level from other guys who are in the top five conversation. I mean, this was, this entire playoffs really has felt like a kind of delayed coming out party for a guy who has two MVPs. Yeah, he's, um. He's just amazing, man. He makes every single guy on the team better. Um, and he just reads the game so well. Again, it's, that's part of the that, that's the issue the Lakers ran into. And um, he's almost, it just feels like he's impossible to game plan for because you put a smaller guy on him, he bullies him. You put a bigger guy on him, he can shoot threes and he'll do handoffs. You try to double him, he's always going to make the right pass. You know, if you try to zone, he's going to just stand in the middle of the zone and hit those like 15 footers. I mean, it's it is like LeBron in that way, where it doesn't always feel like there's a great answer. I honestly, I mean, I feel like Jokic is harder to game plan for offensively than even LeBron was in his prime sometimes because LeBron, I mean, we saw the Spurs do it. They're like, just make him shoot, sag off of him, yep, try to force him into even three pointers, but more so like give him going to his left. He's going to try to take that like 18 footer. It's, that's not his shot. Um, and I don't, I don't know exactly what you're trying to force Jokic to do. I, I, you know, everybody has a weakness, some sort of weakness for LeBron. Like you said, it, it's always kind of been shooting, uh, even free throw shooting. The three point shooting yeah. has always come and gone. Like, I mean, Jokic is for as good of a three point shooter as he is. Like, he's still really hesitant. You know, throughout this series, he, uh, it really wasn't taking him unless he was wide open, unless it was kind of end of a possession. You know, kind of using the shot fake really effectively. Uh, he took 17 threes over the course of four games, which for him, that, that's more than I would have guessed. 
Uh, but you know, you think how many of those were, were desperation. Um, I, what, what is his weakness right now? Like, I think everybody would have said, Oh, defensively, he's no Embiid. He's no Giannis. Like that's true. But I, I also, I, I can't really count many possessions throughout this series where I thought, wow, Jokic is really, you know, he really let them down on defense there. Um, I mean, I think defensively it would just be, I think he's still really, he really struggles against guys who are hyper athletes, like guys who can really get downhill and like dunk over him or kind of like get him to hesitate, come out and blow past him for like a layup. I think he really struggles there. Um, but the rest of his defense is good, and obviously his rebounding is dominant. Offensively, man, I mean, you kind of mentioned him with the three-point shooting. He doesn't like to take the three. So I think as a composing team, you you want to try to get him to do it. But if he's that wide open, he's just going to take him. And he's, I mean, he's 47% this playoffs on basically four attempts a game. So um, <laughs> that's hard, too. All right, let's do the LeBron Um you, know, you put on the XM show today, I asked you point blank, what are the chances that LeBron's not in the NBA next season? You said 5%. Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, that might even be high. I, I think I, I cannot imagine LeBron walking away with this as his last game. Um, you know, being asked that question and uh, you know, being what, 25 minutes after just losing game four, getting swept out of the playoffs, knowing that you're probably set for surgery this summer, knowing that you have no idea what your team is going to look like. Uh, it, it is LeBron and he's, he's always calculated. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he you know, it's just kind of, just kind of, you know, speaking off the cuff here, but um, to me, we've seen LeBron make statements like this, not necessarily about his retirement, but, you know, be kind of purposely vague, almost tongue in cheek. I would be shocked if he actually retires. And I, I don't think this is the end of this, by the way, I, I think in like a month, you know, there'll be a Shams report that like LeBron is actually considering retiring and you know, <laughs> we'll talk about it all summer. You know, he'll probably like, he'll probably like skip organized team activities and all that. Um, I think, you know, when you get older, you just don't want to go through all the offseason stuff. So, you know, if you're him, you want to see how the how the roster turns out. You want to look at some other teams and say, okay, is, is there an opportunity for me somewhere else as I get to the end of my career? Uh, the, the most interesting scenario that I saw was somebody, I think this is just a random person laid this out on Twitter, like LeBron needs to go team up with Steph Curry. You know, both of these guys are nearing the end of their careers. Both of them shouldn't care what anybody thinks anymore. They've always wanted to play together. They should just do it. I don't think that's happening. And that would probably require LeBron to go to the Warriors. I, 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 that's the one, the one move that I could not imagine him making. I mean, didn't KOC write a whole article on like Draymond trying to recruit LeBron to the Warriors? I don't think, I don't think it's just some random Twitter people saying that. Um, that would be shocking. That would be more shocking to me than him retiring. Let's put it that way. I would be more surprised <laughs> if LeBron James was a Golden State Warrior than if he just quit playing basketball. Yeah, I, I think I agree. No, I don't know. Now that I think about this, like, does LeBron really care at this point what people think? Because if he doesn't, then like basketball wise, that, that would make some sense. I don't know how, how Golden State would be able to afford that. Uh, you know, all we all we talk about with them is like the money issues that they have with, with their team going forward. That would, I assume that would mean, you know, Wiggins is gone to like renounce clay. I, I don't know, but uh, that, that would just be so strange. That would be so, so strange. Yeah. I, so I, I don't think he's retiring. I mean, unless, he's not saying something about the foot, like, you know, like maybe the foot's actually quite bad and the surgery is not going to be yeah. some easy thing. I, I really don't know, you know, that the rehab, the rehab process isn't going to be, I mean, how many surgeries has LeBron even had in his career? Less than five. I would think so. gotta be right. I mean, I, I don't know how many have been like publicly disclosed, but I, I think like what 90% of any sort of major injuries he's had have been in the last five years. Well, and he broke his hand that one time, but I don't think he get surgery for that. When he punched the. Oh uh, yeah, that's remember. right in the in the finals. I have and, no idea. Yeah. I, I think there, people were always wondering if that was even real. I, I have no idea. <laughs> Probably, but I guess it was off season, so it like it went unreported. Um, I, I found some odds here via our friends at Points Bets. Odds for the next team LeBron James will play for: Lakers minus seven hundred, no team slash retire, five to one. Cavaliers 12 to one Warriors 15 to one Knicks 15 to one. The Knicks would be awesome. Every time I watch a, like, especially like a, <laughs> a primetime game at MSG, like a playoff game or one of those like Sunday ABC games. I, I always regret like, man, I, I LeBron in Miami was awesome, but I would kind of wish to like peak LeBron had ended up in New York. That would have been a lot of fun. I did see a random Twitter thread about like somebody, you know, cause 
reporters are always like Embiid is the next target for the Knicks as if like we've been doing this dance forever right, right? Giannis is the next target for the Knicks Durant is the next target like we've been doing this for 20 years yeah. but I there was some guy in the comments who's like what difference does that make do we really want this guy <laughs> I was just like so I'm sure there would be some Knicks fans who would be like we don't want this old guy like LeBron he's yeah. washed up uh, but I, w- I agree it would be fun LeBron and MSG you know for half of his games I I agree with you like it would be I mean, it would be it would be fun. I, I think he's been watching a lot of Julius Randle and saying, "Man, right. I would love to play with that guy." Yeah, I think he would really compliment <laughs> me. I just, I, in terms of team context, like I, I guess unless LeBron is like dying to move across the country to New York, which I, I probably at this point in his life he isn't, especially with his son playing at USC. Right. Uh, I, I don't know what the advantage would be. I, like, I saw another tweet. Uh, I think it was kind of a similar thing about like fictional odds of where he's going to play and like. I thought the Sixers were on the list. I'm like, okay, like that basketball wise, I could actually get on board with like, that would make some sense. But I I think the Lakers are going to put together a better team than the Knicks next year. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, they have so much flexibility. I mean, it's not a great free agent class, but what are you going to do? You still have, you still have plenty of options. Like maybe they can grab Van Vliet or something. And you know, that would be a huge upgrade for them. I'm not even a huge Van Vliet guy, but um, they got stuff they can do. So I, and you, the point about, you know, Bronny going to USC, that's why that's why LeBron's in L.A. partially in the first place, right? Because he wants to see his son play and and all that stuff, um, which he does obviously very often. So I think he yeah. wants to be in L.A. or at least on the West Coast, it seems like. Yeah, Sacramento maybe. I don't know. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I, you're totally right about that. I, I think um, – I think at this point in his career, that's like probably almost equal to to what's going on basketball wise. And I also, you know, I mean, LeBron very rarely kind of opens up and is like introspective, but he kind of seems to be like a guy who is coming to terms with what his legacy might be at this point. You know, I think like three or four years ago, it was very clear. Like anytime he spoke, it was like all about winning, all about getting titles. Like he does kind of feel like he's cooled off on that a little bit, even even coming off of a game four loss the other night. Um, you know, I think they basically asked him like, you know, would you be okay walking away? And he's like, yeah, I would. And I, I kind of believe him. Like, even though I don't think he's retiring, I, I do think he's come around on the idea of like, okay, maybe my life is not a failure if I, if I don't get to six rings. Yeah. He's talked a lot about how when he quits, it won't be because his body it'll be because, because he doesn't like want it anymore. Like it's not, he doesn't have yeah. the same drive anymore. And so in that sense, I think that's a good point because it does feel like he's cooled off a little bit um, in that sense where, you know, I mean, that that getting that ring in Cleveland was such a huge accomplishment. The bubble title, obviously a, very, a huge accomplishment as well. Um, and I don't know, he maybe he kind of realizes that like, hey, even if I get another one here, people are really not going to change their opinion on no. am I better than Michael Jordan based on this ring I got when I was 39 years old. Exactly. And I, I also think, you know, it's gotten to the point now where he's, he's played so many seasons that like, you know, he, he could win. I don't know. There, there's still a scenario, I guess, where, you know, if he comes back strong from the surgery and he's averaging like, you know, 28, eight and eight yet again, next season and the Lakers win a title, like people aren't going to discount it, but we're now moving into the point where he's played so many more seasons than Michael Jordan that he could win like four more rings and there'd still be people that were like, well, yeah, if Jordan had played that many seasons, he would have won that many too. Right. And so I think for LeBron, I, I don't know. I mean, how much of this comes down to like, it, does he have any interest in, yeah. Cause if his competitive drive is kind of gone, if he's, if he's not really chasing anything in, anymore besides like yeah. pure racking up numbers, like I want to climb up. I want more points between me and the next guy. And I want yeah, right. all these assists. And you know, I think sometimes we, I don't know if we overrate like how much LeBron would just play basketball for another four years. Cause he thinks basketball is fun. Like he just wants to play in the NBA. Cause it's a fun thing to do that. He really enjoys. Yeah. Like it's hard to say like how much these guys are influenced by just like, I'm going to go out there. Cause this is a fun thing to do. I really enjoy it. I, what, yeah. what would I do if I stopped? That is a great point. It's easy for us being like, like I would give anything to play like one minute in the NBA, let alone 20 seasons where it's like, you know, how could you, how could you ever want to stop playing? But yeah, especially when you reach his level where it's like, all right, you have a billion dollars. You, you kind of have a whole separate life off the court. You have a family. Like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to see how, you know, like the, the appeal of the NBA probably wears off after 20 years. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not after 10 years or 15 years, but when you're, when you're that deep into it, like any job, um, you know, it's probably pretty taxing, especially the, the amount of time and, you know, and effort you have to put into your body. 
uh, on the records front, I, it's hard to say, you know, like, uh, does LeBron really care about like, if somebody breaks a scoring record, you know, I, I think he cares a lot more about that than he would ever say publicly. I, I think to him, that's probably like being the all-time leading scorer is like as much of a notch in his belt as like another title would be. Uh, but there's like, there's like nobody remotely close in terms of active players. Uh, you know, like yeah. depending on how long Luka Doncic plays, given right. the start that he's off to, like he would have a chance, but it's not like, you know, he, he feels any pressure right now. It's like, this is something that wouldn't be broken for another like 15 to 20 years minimum. And in all likelihood, longer than that. Uh, the last thing I'll say on this, it, it kind of ties into, you know, the, the Jordan LeBron argument of, of longevity. And, you know, there's always going to be people that, that kind of take both camps of like, you know, LeBron playing this long and this well is so impressive versus, well, you know, he's only playing this long because he has to chase Michael Jordan who did it in fewer seasons. I do think the more, the more seasons he plays, the more he's just opening himself up to uh, failure, right? I mean, at, at least they got the one in the bubble uh, if you're a LeBron fan or if you're, if you're a Lakers fan. But uh, like you can almost argue that looking back, it's like, would he have been better off just walking away like after putting up 50 in, in game one of the 2018 finals? Because he's now gone, what, one for five in LA. The one title came in the bubble. It's like if he plays three more years, and doesn't win a ring in, in those three years, then I, I think people would look back and be like, okay, yeah, it's all well and good. You, you played well into your forties, but um, you know, you played like with each passing season that he doesn't win a ring. I think only having four, putting that in air quotes, looks less impressive. If that makes sense. I think some of it depends on like, I think in the immediate future. Yes. Cause he's still, he's still so good. You know, yeah, I think like, dude, by the way, that is getting totally glossed over. It's like, I don't think people that, like don't watch basketball closely and realize like how insane he was during the regular season. He was fantastic. I mean, it's it as a 38 year old, he makes like 30 points, eight rebounds, seven assists look mostly effortless. Like it really feels like there are games where LeBron tries for like six, like six total minutes and the rest of the yeah. game, he's kind of just like on autopilot and he's putting up like 30, he's putting up like, you know, fringe triple doubles every single night with, with 30 points. Um, some of this is just like he's always people are always going to people are going to consider the season's failures like you're alluding to because he's still playing so well. And I think there would be a point where if we got to the version of LeBron that was basically just like, you know, letting the yarn run out on his career. Like, is he really playing in the league when he's 43 and he's playing like we see the LeBron that's playing like 26 minutes a game and kind of just like. I don't even know how to describe like there's just that that doesn't happen a lot necessarily like we see some guys you know like KG played a long time um like Vince Carter like we're not going to see LeBron I don't no. think I mean it would be it would be interesting to see LeBron kind of like f basically literally phase himself out of the NBA based on like he just can't he literally just cannot do it anymore but <laughs> so the conversation gets really complicated because at some point he just we can't say LeBron is the best player in the league and we can't say that he's the best player in any given team that he's on that has a chance to win a title. Yeah. It's kind of, he's kind of at a point of like diminishing returns with that, where it's like, okay, we, you're still really good to the point where people expect you to win, but you've right. lost that. You've lost that like top 5% that made you the best player in the league and was, you know, you were able to will any team essentially to the finals. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting spot to be. Um, I, I don't, I, I just I, I think your initial point before we went down this long road is correct that there's really not a whole lot he could do I think to change anyone's mind you know you, at this point you're either you're either on team LeBron or you're team anti LeBron you've probably been that way for most of his entire career and you know I, I think like winning the title in 16 might have flipped some people probably not that many uh, but yeah it's, it's hard to imagine him like having another phase of his career where uh, any opinions are, are, are really changed there. Um, all right. Anything else you want to hit ahead of game five tomorrow? Anything with the nuggets, anything off season wise? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm just interested to see where this coaching carousel goes, but I don't have any takes on like where I think anybody's going or who's necessarily the best fit for anybody. I mean, you know, I think nurse might be the best option for any team. If you had to just like, who's the best guy available, but I'm, I'm interested, but I don't, you know, I don't have any hot takes. Yeah, we kind of agreed to not dig in on that just because, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a, a coaching expert, especially when we're talking about like assistants and things of that nature. And, you know, there's like kind of the same pool of guys in contention for a lot of jobs. And, you know, once the dust settles, you know, that we'll, we'll, we'll get into that and, and analyze each of those fits. And 
my guess is that by the time we talk around this time next week, we'll have at least one or two jobs filled. Seems like some teams, uh, you know, Milwaukee and Phoenix are kind of getting to the final stages, but it's been, it's been difficult because like all of a sudden, like the market is flooded with way more, you know, available proven high upside coaches than normal. Like usually you have like one or two guys who have either been sitting out or are kind of rising assistants. I mean, it, it does feel like we, we have like four, potentially five, depending on what Boston is doing, you know, really appealing jobs open and also a really deep pool of candidates. Yeah. The Boston, the Boston thing is interesting because maybe some of these guys are waiting and telling these teams like, look, Hey, I would love to coach Milwaukee, but I also yeah. would be really interested in getting an interview for the Boston job if it becomes available. Um, I think that's a dynamic as well. Yeah, it is crazy that the team with Giannis could end up being like the third best coaching job this summer. <laughs> you know, I mean, we have Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, Phoenix, Toronto, all open. Am I forgetting any other active openings? Detroit? Oh, yeah. For some reason, I thought they hired somebody, but they did not. You're, you're right. I think there was like a reported hiring a couple of weeks ago, and that wasn't actually true. Um, you know, I mean, Ty Lue has kind of been dipping his his toes into this as well. But um, all right, we're, we're cutting it off here before we get too deep into <laughs> Clippers coaching speculation. Uh, TBD, I know we'll have another episode this week. We'll see how the schedule breaks down. Uh, could depend on what happens tomorrow night. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.